Welcome to the Medical Independent Innovation in Healthcare podcast series, where we explore the advances that are transforming Irish healthcare and the innovative minds behind them. From cutting edge technologies, to groundbreaking research, to new models of care, Ireland is at the forefront of medical innovation. Our guests are leading figures in the Irish and international healthcare community who are revolutionising the way patients are being treated. So whether you're a healthcare professional, a patient, or simply curious about the latest developments in Irish medicine, join us for an engaging and informative discussion. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Innovation in Healthcare podcast series from The Medical Independent. I'm your host, Priscilla Lynch, clinical editor of The Medical Independent. Joining me in this episode is Professor Doug Veal, consultant rheumatologist at St. Vincent's University Hospital Dublin and a principal investigator at the Conway Institute for Biomedical and Biomolecular Research at University College Dublin. Professor Veal has established an international reputation in translational research in the areas of early inflammatory arthritis and autoimmune diseases, and his interests focus on biopharmaceutical therapies, biomarkers of disease and response therapy. Professor Veal, you've had many achievements and firsts over your long career to date which we will come to shortly. But firstly, can you tell me what attracted you to medicine and in particular rheumatology? So thank you, Priscilla, for the invitation. I'm delighted to join you today. Uh, Bizarrely enough, and much to my parents' surprise, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor at the age of 10 and nothing was going to dissuade me uh, thereafter. And it, it never occurred to me that I would actually have a career in anything other than medicine. Uh, But when I actually qualified in 1984 uh, and I completed my basic training, I was at a sort of a crossroads and I didn't really know what specialty I wanted to actually uh, go into. I I knew I wanted to stay in hospital medicine. And I was fascinated, uh, actually, because there was no rheumatologist in the hospital that I was working in. It was a teaching hospital in Dublin and there was no rheumatologist. And And actually, there was only eight rheumatologists in the whole of Ireland at that time. So I saw a couple of patients who had been admitted under the care of uh, a general physician. And uh, at that time, of course, the treatments for patients with rheumatoid arthritis were were pretty generic. Uh, It was either steroids or gold injections. And uh, even methotrexate was not commonly being used at that time. And it was uh, it was not actually that uncommon that patients not only suffered from their rheumatoid arthritis, but actually died as a consequence of either their disease or indeed complications of the treatment. And so uh, I, I did develop a very early interest at this stage in rheumatology. And I went to speak to the eight rheumatologists in Ireland at the time and asked their advice. And as you can imagine, I got very varying answers. Some said, this is a great specialty and a great career. And some said, look, there won't be any jobs, so there's no point in actually going for it. And uh, I think uh, I was encouraged by this variety in in the uh, uh, answers that I got. Uh, But eventually I decided to actually follow my heart and uh, I went into rheumatology and after one year of training in a clinical job I actually embarked on an MD 
and I spent uh, three years doing an MD uh, through the, through University College Dublin, and that was really looking at uh, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, and we were trying to look at what were the similarities uh, in the pathology on the uh, and the histology of skin and the joint tissues in patients with psoriasis and those with psoriatic arthritis. And this really hadn't been done before. And so it was, it was relatively groundbreaking. And we, we, came, we actually identified uh, some specific similarities between the pathology in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and published that actually in the Annals of Rheumatic Disease and Rheumatology and other uh, very good you know, peer-reviewed rheumatology journals at that time. And then uh, my career took a turn at that stage. I, I completed my MD studies in Dublin, which was, again, a little unusual in that a lot of my colleagues who would have specialised, they would have actually left Ireland to, co- to continue their studies abroad before undertaking a higher degree. So I had completed my MD, and then I, I was looking around for a job in the UK uh, or in America. and. I, uh, my my uh, path then took me to, to Scotland, to Dundee, which was actually a, a very good medical and scientific centre at the time. And I was lucky enough to get a job as a lecturer, as a, an academic lecturer in medicine, which gave me the opportunity to both continue my clinical training, but also to actually continue my academic studies. And I, I worked with Professor Jill Belch, who was uh, a great supporter and a great facilitator, a mentor. And Jill encouraged me to continue my research. And, and that very much was in the area of vascular medicine. So uh, that in, increased my interest really in connective tissue diseases like lupus and systemic sclerosis, but also in general medical uh, diseases, including diabetics, uh, patients with kidney failure who had complications that affected their uh, peripheral circulation. And we actually ran a a vascular service along with the vascular surgeons in Dundee uh, for three and a half years while I was there, in addition to uh, continuing my training in rheumatology. And that's where I I completed my uh, CCST, essentially, in rheumatology, but also in general medicine. And... uh, I was very lucky at that stage. Again, my career uh, came to a a, a, a a choice in paths uh, with um, uh, two options, really, whether to go to the States and do a further fellowship. Uh, and at that time, then, I, I was lucky to meet Paul Emery, who's just had been appointed as the professor of rheumatology in Leeds. And Leeds was the first flagship department uh, of the Arthritis Research Council in the UK, uh, way back when Werner Wright uh, was one of the first, uh, if you like, leaders uh, in academic rheumatology in the UK. So Paul was setting up a new department, and uh, he encouraged me to apply for a post as a senior lecturer, and that took me to Leeds then uh, at a very interesting time because that was in 1995 and um, Paul was essentially, he had a a background really in clinical trials 
in rheumatic diseases. And he'd done a lot of uh, pivotal uh, trials in the development of a lot of new drugs. And at that stage, we were beginning to use methotrexate and sulfasalazine as first-line disease-modifying drugs uh, in rheumatology. But the idea of the, the magic bullet, the, the, um, the, the treatment, one treatment which could uh, significantly improve the life of patients with rheumatic uh, diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis, was still really un, uh, it was unheard of at that stage. And I remember, excuse, going back to my time in Ireland uh, as a research fellow, I had written an article about uh, the desire to identify a magic bullet, the, the, this new treatment that we could, uh, uh, you know, could induce a remission in patients with no side effects, uh, but with uh, the, the best outcomes for the patients. And at that stage, it was a dream, really. But when I got to Leeds then, it was really around that time that uh, the idea of monoclonal antibodies uh, had been introduced into scientific research and started becoming a reality in medical research. And so we were there starting up this clinical trials unit in Leeds uh, with a fantastic team, uh, a great new team, vibrant young people working in rheumatology, there was a new professor, new lecturers, uh, and and a very big team as well. And and the whole concept of the unit in Leeds was to treat patients early with drugs that could make a, a difference. And one of our first papers actually that came out of the Leeds Early Arthritis Project was combination therapy with methotrexate and uh, sulfasalazine and steroids. So we were using the old conventional treatments, but instead of using one at a time and adding them in one after the other, uh, or using them in series, we, we did this study, completed the study to actually combine these treatments in one uh, to, to treat patients as what, what we thought at the time as optimally. But it very, very soon became apparent that the monoclonal antibodies uh, were were a real possibility for improving uh, the life of patients with rheumatic diseases. And of course, the first monoclonal antibody were the anti-TNFs or anti-tumor necrosis factor drugs. And we were lucky to be involved with the Kennedy Institute in London in some of the pivotal trials uh, in uh, the TNF inhibitors. And of course, the first TNF inhibitor was given by intravenous infusion, and that was uh, a, a drug called infliximab. And then very shortly after that, uh, newer drugs that could be given by subcutaneous injection came along. And that was uh, a fusion protein called etanercept. And then the uh, first humanized monoclonal antibody, uh, which was actually called adalimumab. And they were the first three anti-TNFs that really became available. and. During my time in Leeds, we started to use these in patients and we realized very quickly that they made a significant difference to the patients. Uh, they improved their quality of life very quickly because they treated the pain and the symptoms of the rheumatic diseases. 
but they also improved the uh, function of patients. And these were the, this was the first time, really, that drugs made a significant difference in function. And it was only subsequently, as clinical trials progressed, that we realized that these drugs actually inhibited the damage associated with these diseases and that they prevented the erosions to bone and to cartilage, which has made such an improvement by by actually preventing damage and therefore maintaining function in patients with the, with rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis, and we did we did look at other monoclonal antibodies in clinical trials, including anti CD four monoclonal antibodies, and also the um, the the, the uh, monoclonal antibody that came out of Cambridge, uh, which uh, Cambridge Antibody Technologies, which was called Campath uh, one, uh, and that had been used to treat leukemias uh, and lymphomas very successfully. But it seemed to be a little bit more toxic. It had some more side effects than the anti-TNFs. So the anti-TNFs really became the number one monoclonal antibody. They were the first, if you like, magic bullet that we had envisaged those years previously. Uh, And so I stayed in Leeds for about six years. And we were working there to build up the unit. And it became... I think it's fair to say probably one of the most prestigious clinical trials units in Europe. And uh, it also gave me the opportunity to meet and to work with colleagues who were also working at prestigious units in Holland, right across Europe, Vienna, Erlangen in Germany, and also colleagues further afield. So colleagues in Australia, Malaysia and the USA. And really, we built up a very large network of collaboration with other rheumatologists right across the globe. And this, of course, enhanced our capability to undertake uh, global trials, clinical trials, but also to uh, grow and develop our own research interests outside of clinical trials, which is really focused on trying to understand the mechanisms of disease. And and it was really looking at the mechanisms of disease, looking at the molecular pathology of diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, that we started to understand how specific molecules could be targeted with monoclonal antibodies or with small molecular inhibitors. And so this was actually how these new treatments actually developed by identifying a single molecule that could be targeted rather than giving a drug that affected every molecule or every cell in the body. So this was really the beginning of what we now call precision medicine, where we're targeting a specific molecule to identify a response in in, in a specific disease. And as as you know, over the last 20 years, there's been a, a huge advance in, in all diseases, not just rheumato- uh, rheumatology or rheumatic disease, in the use of uh, drugs that target specific molecules now, uh, which have changed the lives of so many patients. And when I, when I say, you know, I should recognize the uh, role of our many patients who have you know, they've traveled this journey with me and with, with all of my collaborators because 
without our patients involved in the studies that we've undertaken and the clinical trials that we've completed, the development of these drugs would never have happened. And so it's really a tribute to our patients who have actually engaged in research. And this is one of the things that I've tried to do over the last 20 years since coming back to Ireland, is really to involve patients in our research, not just undertaking research studies, but giving them a voice. So uh, you may know that there's the patient voice uh, initiative, which is really about involving patients in the design and the development of clinical trial protocols and research protocols. And this has really become a major advance now where patients have a seat at the table as a stakeholder in the uh, development of the design and also the, uh, the, the um, if you like, the, the writing and submission of research protocols. And it's make a huge difference because, of course, they have first-hand experience of these diseases. Uh, I'm also very lucky to have worked very closely with some brilliant scientists uh, without whom the, the molecular work that we've done uh, really, uh, you know, would would never have been possible. And I would, you know, make particular mention of Professor Ursula Fearon, who I've collaborated with over the last twenty six years. And we returned from Leeds in uh, two thousand and one to Dublin, and I uh, was appointed in Saint Vincent's Hospital at that time. And we continued our research in Saint Vincent's and UCD uh, for about six seven years. And then at that time, UCD uh, actually appointed me as the first director of translational research. And and what that did for me was it gave me protected time. So uh, essentially, my clinical job became half time and I got protected time for 50% of my time to undertake the research and also to, to act as a leader to help others undertake translational research in St. Vincent's and in the Conway Institute in UCD. And so we continued that work. And then Professor Fearon was appointed as the uh, chair of molecular rheumatology in Trinity College, which is based in the uh, Trinity Biomedical Sciences Institute. And it was really around that time that we first applied for the Center of Excellence Award from ULAR. And ULAR is the umbrella organization for uh, uh, or you know, rheumatology associations across Europe. And what they do is they recognize the work that you've done, the publications that you've actually uh, published in, in peer-reviewed journals, and also the amount of research funding that you've obtained over the previous five years. And if that reaches a certain level of merit, then they award the Center of Excellence Award, And it was the first time that that had been awarded to a centre in Ireland. So we were very proud of that. And uh, it, uh, the Taoiseach at the time uh, unveiled our award in a ceremony in UCD. Uh, and uh, we were delighted to announce uh, that award. And we became one of 25 centres in Europe, across Europe, where research excellence uh, was recognized by our peers uh, in, in the ULAR group. And we've subsequently renewed that for a further five years. So in 2019, uh, we were able to 
extend that award for a further five years based on the research, uh, again, uh, that we had achieved between 2014 and 2019. So it's a mark of our, it's a recognition of our uh, achievements uh, in terms of research uh, and the publications, uh, you know, of our of our group, and when I talk about our group, that has grown over the years as well. So since two thousand and fourteen, uh, Professor Fearon's group now has grown uh, to maybe sixteen or seventeen uh, researchers in the lab in Trinity College, and we've had numerous fellows, clinical fellows, uh, working with me and the team in St. Vincent's uh, Hospital as well. And so we've had a great team of clinical fellows, scientists. We've also got great research nurses who obviously are critically important within the Clinical Research Centre in uh, St. Vincent's and in the matter, actually. Uh, And we've started clinics really across the two centres in Dublin. And with the help of our patients, our nurses, the doctors, scientists, our physiotherapists are involved, our, our, our occupational therapists are involved, uh, and our patients. We've really built up this collaborative team, which works extremely well. And uh, I shouldn't forget the site in Harold's Cross, where we also have uh, some research nurses and uh, uh, the advanced nurse practitioners. And many of our patients from Harold's Cross are also engaged in the research that we have uh, undertaken. And I, you know, it's, this teamwork has been particularly satisfying to me. I think it's why I've achieved some of the things that I have achieved. I've managed to continue an academic career from the time I started in, uh, in Vincent's uh, in, and UCD doing my MD, through my time in Dundee, uh, the, the six years I spent in Leeds as a senior lecturer, and then coming back to Dublin to the job in St. Vincent's, which ultimately led to my professorship in UCD and all the publications uh, and research outputs that we've had. Now, aside from that, we've, we've achieved a great deal in terms of our clinical practice. And, you know, research in terms of publications and papers and getting the funding in is all very well. But it's really translating that into uh, an effect which would change the outcome of patients. And I've mentioned how the drugs uh, and the development of new drugs in particular have changed the outcomes for patients over the years. Uh, but really, the other things that we've changed, I think, are how we develop and deliver our services. And the first uh, clinical change that we instituted really was the early arthritis clinics. So we started seeing patients within six weeks of the onset of their symptoms. And that remains one of our key clinical aims in the early arthritis clinics in St. Vincent's and in the Mater Hospital. The other uh, development that we've actually been able to do is identify patients actually before they develop arthritis. And this is pretty unique and fairly recent as well. So We've identified markers or biomarkers uh, in subjects that we can measure in their blood, but also in biopsies of their joints, which show some patients who will subsequently develop rheumatoid arthritis 
who, but before they've actually developed the signs and symptoms of arthritis. And the beauty of that research and, and the aim of that research is very much so to, to target prevention, cure essentially. Can we, can we prevent arthritis in those individuals who have a susceptibility to the disease? And I think that's really the first momentous step towards developing a cure. Because if we can treat and, pre- and treat to prevent the onset of disease, then we can potentially cure uh, the arthritis as well. And not just arthritis, but all autoimmune diseases, uh, I think such as lupus and systemic sclerosis as well. So that's a major advance, I think, that is, is at a very early stage, but is enormously innovative. Uh, the other area which we identified probably about seven or eight years ago now, and I, I would attribute the, the initiation of this work to one of our ANPs uh, in Harrods Cross, and that's Louise Moore, who started with an interest in treating uh, women who were, were either uh, wanting to start a family or who were already pregnant and embarking on the pregnancy journey, uh, who had a rheumatic disease. And Louise identified really a major gap in the services in Ireland. And what Louise did was she undertook a survey of patients uh, uh, who were going through this journey uh, at the family planning and pregnancy stages. But she also undertook a survey of rheumatologists across Ireland And what she found was that patients were getting a variety of different uh, informations from different sources. There was no continuity or no uh, conformity in the information that was being given to patients. But also she identified that rheumatologists really had no go-to colleagues in the obstetrics world. Uh, who they could actually liaise with specifically uh, uh, for patients who they were looking after who were pregnant with a rheumatic disease. And so this this led to the foundation of the Rose Clinic, which is the Rheumatology Obstetric Service, which we established in the National Hospital, the National Maternity Hospital in Hollis Street with uh, Professor Fanula McAuliffe. And that's been up and running now since I think about 2017 and it's the first combined clinic that we actually undertake on a monthly basis in Hollis Street Hospital where myself and Louise and one of the rheumatology registrars attend the obstetric clinic and we see specifically those patients who are either planning a pregnancy or who are already pregnant who have rheumatic diseases and we've taken referrals into that clinic from all over Ireland and so it really is a national service and we've just actually finished uh, the uh, publication of the national guidelines uh, for rheumatology obstetric care Uh, so I'm particularly proud of that work that we've done with Louise and uh, Professor McAuliffe because that service has really uh, led the way and actually it's not only the first in Ireland but it, it actually was one of the first in the UK and probably one of the first across Europe as well. So I think that the research that we've done, uh, while it it covers the molecular and the cellular aspects of uh, rheumatic diseases, it also covers treatments and novel treatments 
uh, and innovation in, in novel treatments, including particularly, I guess, the biotherapeutics, such as the monoclonal antibodies that have been so successful. But also, I think it highlights how we've used the information that we've gained from those studies and translated them into care in everyday services for our patients. And uh, I, I just know from my own personal experience and feedback from our patients that uh, these changes in the services have made a huge difference to these patients' lives. And testimonials from our patients have have been very heartwarming and, and incredibly, uh, I think, encouraging to all uh, those working in this area uh, to continue the work that we're doing uh, so that eventually we, we may be able to eradicate uh, rheumatic diseases and autoimmune diseases uh, more generally. Professor Rio, that was an absolutely fascinating journey um, through your career, both from a clinical and a research perspective. And you really showcased how rheumatology was a specialty that was absolutely ripe for innovation. And your career pathway has mirrored that. And you've been very much at the forefront, both at the academic side, about improving disease understanding and making sure that patients had access to these treatments by implementing clinical trial um, infrastructure and getting patients on those trials. And then further refining that so that they could have better outcomes. And I think it's very easy to sit here in 2023 and uh, forget about how disabled patients were in the 70s and the 80s when you came into medical practice in rheumatology. I mean, the degree of disability and pain and now to a disease that can be not necessarily easily managed, but very successfully managed and at an early stage. And now that we're actually looking at a case of where we're going to try and prevent people even developing these diseases in the first place. So I think it is a magnificent, really, journey in medicine. We, we look at all the different specialties in this series, but uh, rheumatology is fascinating. And I think it's kind of underestimated as well what's really happened in the last 20 years for outcomes for patients and how fascinating that is. And yes. we also really showcase today the role of collaboration, whether it's with national and international colleagues, and also a multidisciplinary approach and involving patients. I suppose I, I didn't focus too much, but actually when I started, uh, in rheumatology, which was 1989, I think, um, you know, I'd say 50% of our patients attending the clinics were actually in either in wheelchairs or were only able to walk with uh, a crutch or a walking stick. So the level of disability at that stage was absolutely enormous. And in fact, what, what people didn't realize was that rheumatoid arthritis, which was thought to be a disease of the joints, actually uh, was associated with a higher mortality uh, up to 10 years earlier than those in the general population. And that was, that was actually comparable to patients who were being diagnosed with cancer. Uh, so it was really when that sort of those figures were highlighted that we really only I think, uh, became aware on a global uh, scale, the level of disability and the level of mortality associated with the rheumatic diseases. And when you look at the data now in this you know, uh, era, post-monoclonal antibody therapy, and with the introduction of 
the small molecular inhibitors, there's been a huge reduction in the number of surgeries for joint replacement in patients with rheumatic diseases. And there is a huge increase in the level of participation uh, that patients actually can experience in the workplace, uh, in their family life, and in their activities. You know, so, you know, I, I see patients now uh, who, you know, continue to play senior county football or hurling, and, you know, championship jockeys who continue to ride, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're grade one winners. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, triathletes, elite triathletes every, of all grades, people who are participating in every aspect of, of their lives and their families' lives because of the innovation of uh, these new treatments and the delivery of care for for uh, for our patients over the last 20 odd years and speaking of which as if you haven't been busy enough on the clinical side and the research side you've also been very actively involved with patient organizations in particular arthritis ireland in providing support and awareness um, of the diseases um, for the patients that they deal with and i know recently you were granted a lifetime achievement award by the irish society of rheumatology and uh, that was one of the many many achievements <laughs> Uh, that were outlined uh, during the, the meeting uh, that your, your, you know, your deep relationship with Arthritis Ireland and with your patients. It has been an amazing journey. So what were your thoughts really on being granted that award? Oh, I, I was uh, I was overcome, uh, as you as you can imagine, it was very unexpected. And uh, I have to, you know, I have to, you know, say that my colleagues were incredibly generous in in uh, giving me that award and recognizing, I think, some of the achievements. And as I've sort of tried to highlight here, that I would never have achieved any of these things if it wasn't for all those other people who were there with me, standing beside me and helping me and supporting me. And actually, I have a great deal to be thankful to Arthritis Ireland for as well, because they've supported us uh, much more than we've supported them over the last 20 years in, in reality. But it's been a great, uh, it's been a great collaboration, and uh, I, I really have to hand it to all the staff and the volunteers in Arthritis Ireland, uh, who I've come to know very well over the last twenty years, because you know at one stage Arthritis Ireland, which was uh, uh, it, it it went by a, a form, it was formerly uh, went by another name, and it was sort of reinvented as Arthritis Ireland. Uh, in the early noughties and they've really developed a fantastic organization which provides support for the patients but it also includes patients in the running of the organization and in giving them a, a, a if you like a, a, a seat a, a stakeholder seat at the table uh, to decide how the organization uh, progresses and develops. And I think that's, again, very, very important. And uh, I would just say Gronje O'Leary uh, at the CEO and her team at Arthritis Ireland have done an amazing job and they've been inc incredibly supportive to us over the years. So uh, I, I, I recognize their input into our achievements as well. Uh, but the, the other night when I got my Lifetime Achievement Award from the ISR was a, a truly 
moving and very emotional uh, experience for me. And, and I was very honoured and privileged uh, to receive uh, that award, I have to say. Congratulations again. And there was quite a list of achievements, actually, which we haven't had time to go through in this episode, all of them. But I was also struck that you were the chief medical officer um, for a couple of startups as well. So that really highlighted to me that you weren't afraid just to sit there in the lab and look at, you know, uh, the disease and try and improve understanding. You've reached out to both clinical practice, to research, to clinical trials, and also to industry as well. So that innovation takes many forms and you don't just have to sit there in one area. And even working with arthritis Ireland, you have some very innovative uh, patient treatment programs as well. So would that be something you would encourage clinicians to do as well? Just maybe look out the window of the lab and there's lots of elements involved in innovation. Well, I, I always, uh, yeah, people over the years, people have said to me, yeah, particularly my, a lot of my clinical colleagues, they'd sort of say, oh, it's all very well doing research, you know, but what are you doing? Uh, you know, you should be in the clinics just treating patients. But, you know, without research, we wouldn't have the treatments of tomorrow. We wouldn't have the services of tomorrow. And actually, uh, what I often say is that, you know, research is just another term for curiosity. Uh, and curiosity is asking the questions. So if we accept the status quo uh, of where we're at today, then we'll never ask the questions, where, will, where do we want to be tomorrow? So if, you, if you're curious about what you want to do tomorrow and next year and the year after in terms of how you want to improve services for patients, and improve treatments, then you've got to ask the question, how are we going to do that? And what, what do I not know? I know what I know, but what don't I know? And, and so many of us concentrate a little bit on what we do know. Uh, but we sort of tend to sometimes maybe be frightened of asking what I don't know. And I think as a doctor, I think uh, it's absolutely critical, both on a clinical level, but also in a research context, to ask the question, what I don't know. If you don't, if you don't appreciate what you don't know in a clinical situation, then you know, it's very easy to make a mistake. Uh, and that mistake could you know, have con real consequences for a patient uh, in real time. So I think it, I always say this to my, my uh, students and to my fellows, you have to be honest to uh, you know, admit what you don't know. Uh, and if you don't admit to yourself what you don't know, then you'll never correct that. You'll never actually look for the answer and try and actually understand uh, where there is a gap in your knowledge. And so research, as far as I'm concerned, is having a curious mind, keeping an open mind, uh, not accepting the status quo as being the only way to do things, uh, and I think research to be done, you know, correctly and scientifically, there's a process to go through. Uh, but you can ask those questions and hopefully get some answers, which are both valid but also robust, so that they can actually change the future and improve the way that we provide care for our patients and the treatments that we actually provide for our patients. 
I think that's very wise advice and uh, that's all we have time for so that is a wrap so thank you very much Professor Beale for joining us for this episode of the Innovation and Healthcare podcast series from the Medical Independent stay tuned for further episodes that brings us to the end of this episode thank you for tuning in please subscribe to the Medical Independent for the latest healthcare news and debate sign up at www.mindo.ie to stay up to date on all the latest medical news. Join the discussion on Twitter at med underscore Indo news. Introducing the new Medical Independent app. Why not join over 14,000 healthcare professionals and stay up to date on the latest healthcare news in Ireland? Read in-depth reports on the issues impacting the health service and medical professionals. Trusted insights, breaking news alerts, in-depth analysis and more. Download the Medical Independent app on the Apple Store or the Google Play Store by searching the word Mindo. The Medical Independent app. Your news, your way.